So the first reading is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 20. On the large, in the large print Bibles, it's on page 320. And in the chair Bibles, it's on page 142. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven, so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, And if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading comes from Joshua, chapter 24, beginning at the 14th verse, in the small print Bible, that's on page 163. In the large print Bible, I really don't know. (laughs) 367, thank you, Clem. (coughs) Beginning at the 14th verse. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you shall break, whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we travelled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. 
Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves, but you have chosen to serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as you came in, you should have been given an out- or offered an outline of the talk, so you might like to grab that and have it handy. Um, we're going to be looking at two passages today. So we're, we're looking at this two-week series um, called Famous Last Words. Uh, we're going to be looking at some people f- from the Scriptures, their, their last words to, uh, to God's people, not because I want to equate myself with them, but because I figure um, they've got some important things to say and uh, it's important for us um, to hear them. So let me pray, and then we'll look at the Bible together. (coughs) Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the scriptures. We want to thank you for the great examples that there are of people like Moses and Joshua and David and Daniel and Jesus, of course. Father, we ask that you might help us to learn from them. Father, we pray that we might hear the comfort, but that we might also hear the challenge that comes from your word. And we pray, Father, that uh, we, we might all come away from this place um, determined to seek and to serve you with all that we have. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you will be aware that um, we've been making some big choices recently um, in our lives, uh, lives that, uh, choices that will have big implications. Obviously, we've ch- chosen to change jobs. Uh, we're changing houses. We've had to sell our house on the Central Coast. We've done all sorts of big things. Uh, our children are moving. Our families are moving. Um, when you make choices, they have implications, don't they? They have, they have ramifications. Um, some ramifications can be really, really big. Sometimes you can make a choice that uh, seems insignificant at the time, but actually could end up being a life or death choice. So, for instance... Uh, you might uh, take the choice of the British man who went to the movies in March last year. He went to the movies, and during the movie, he dropped his phone underneath his chair. Um, he decided, at, as the movie finished, to reach under the chair to grab his phone. Um, as he did, as he kind of got down uh, hands and knees and stuck his head under the chair to try and reach his phone, uh, he got stuck um, in the, uh, the automatic um, electronic footrest. rest. Um, and sadly, while he was there, he got so upset that he got, had, suffered a fatal heart attack and died. Um, seems like a pretty insignificant choice, um, and yet it had far-reaching um, ramifications. Or you might uh, think of the Malaysian man who, in January last year, decided um, to take home a 3.5-metre reticulated python um, on his motorcycle. Unfortunately for him, as he drove along, um, the python um, decided to wrap itself around his neck um, and strangled him, and he died. Um, (coughs) A seemingly insignificant choice to carry this python home. I'm not sure what he was going to do with it when he got there, but anyway, um, maybe it was going to be dinner. Um, He ended up being dinner himself. How sad. 
Um, but then, there, of course, there are other choices, like those who chose to get onto uh, the United Airlines Flight 175 to Los Angeles on September 11, 2001, or those who boarded the Titanic on its maiden voyage across the Atlantic in, 19, in 1912. Sometimes we make choices that have life and death consequences. A lot of the time we don't know, like the, the man reaching under the movie theatre chair or the guy carrying his python home, uh, or the people, ca- um, as you do, uh, or the, uh, the, the people catch, catching the United Airlines flight. They didn't know that that was going to be a life and death choice for them. They, if they'd known, perhaps they wouldn't have reached under the chair or taken the python or put it in a bag, maybe. Um, <coughs> or uh, they perhaps would have delayed to the next flight if they'd known um, that these were going to be the implications. In today's passages... Uh, we hear from two great leaders of the faith, Moses and Joshua. They're coming to the end of their lives, and uh, when it comes to the end of your life, uh, when things come to the end, quite often you want to be straight and direct. You don't want to beat around the bush, even if it is a burning one. Um, And so uh, both Moses and Joshua, they want to leave their people with a challenge, with a choice. And both of them describe these choices as life and death choices. So we're going to get to those in a moment. Uh, But before they do, uh, before they get to those choices, before they lay those choices before the people, they start off where we started off our service this morning. They start off by concentrating and reminding the people of God's mercy, of God's love for them. And so in Deuteronomy chapter um, 30, we didn't um, have those read, but the first 10 verses or so, Moses actually is looking forward. He knows exactly what the Israelites are like. Like he spent the last 40 years wandering around the desert with them. He knows that they are going to be unfaithful. He knows that they're going to find it hard to follow God. Uh, And so he looks forward to a time where that reaches its inevitable conclusion. And so chapter 30, he looks forward to a time when the Israelites have actually been sent off into exile um, because of their rebellion against God. But he says that even despite all of that, Despite all their rejection of God and their rebellion against him, he says, God will be merciful to you. God will forgive you. God will welcome you back. And see the scope of his welcome. Look in verse 9, Deuteronomy 30. He says, The Lord your God will make you prosperous in all the work of your hands, and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors. Even though they're going to do terrible things and reject God, and we know the history of Israel, don't we? We know throughout the time of the judges, throughout the the prophets, through the kings, the Israelites over and over again turned against God. But despite all that, God's mercy is unending. God will forgive them if they turn back to him. And so Moses tells them in advance, God is going to be merciful to them. And more than that, he's actually going to change them. In verse 6, he says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. God knows that they found it hard to, to follow him. And so Moses looks forward to a time when God, the expression he uses, a strange one to us, will circumcise their hearts. He will set aside their hearts, set apart their hearts for him. To serve him. It's the same promise, actually, that Jeremiah makes in Jeremiah 31 when he says this. He says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel at that time. 
I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Jeremiah looks forward to a time <coughs> when God's people won't just follow this kind of external law, but that they will follow the law that's in their hearts, that God will soften and change their hearts so that they will want to follow him. God's mercy is so great, he won't just forgive them, he'll even change them. In Ezekiel 36, he says the same thing. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God says, I will change you. I will make you soft towards me so that you can obey and follow me. Now, those promises are promises, as we saw at the beginning of the service, that we can look back on. We don't look forward to them. We look back on them because they're promises that have been fulfilled in us, that God has, in fact, done those things. He's shown his mercy. He's shown us forgiveness. And he has put his spirit in our hearts. We read that from Ephesians 1. One of the great, uh, great promises of God, one of the great gifts of God is the gift of his spirit. God is changing us to be the people he wants us to be. He's softening us. We know it. We've experienced it in our, in our own hearts. So Moses looks forward to God's mercy, but Joshua, if you look at Joshua chapter 24, he looks back at God's mercy. And so Joshua, in the first 13 verses of Joshua 24, <coughs> Joshua takes them back. He starts from Abraham and he works his way through um, all the people of Israel, the promises of God, how they found their fulfilment, and he brings them right through out of Egypt into the promised land. He's removed the people. He's now settled them in the land. So Joshua is about to die, and the Israelites are about to live in the promised land. And he says, remember God's mercy. Remember God's kindness to you. And it's important, that, isn't it? It's important to remember God's kindness, to remember God's mercy. You know, Things change. Churches change. Leaders change. Um, Houses change. Friends change. Family changes. But in all of those changes, there is one constant, of course. God is constant. God in his faithfulness, God in his mercy is unchanging. And no matter who stands up here, no matter who sits down there, God's mercy is unending. And it's important to remember that. It's important for you. It's important for me to remember all of God's goodness to us, that, that Jesus gave up all the riches of the glory of heaven, taking on the nature of a servant, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that we have been saved by grace through faith, that we have been given new birth into a living hope that can never perish or spoil or fade. These are some of the blessings, some of the mercies that God has showered on us. Never forget those, will you? Never forget God's great mercy. If the Israelites of Moses and Joshua's day had a lot to thank God for, we have so much more because we know Jesus. We know the full extent of his love as shown in Jesus' death for us. So (coughs) because God is merciful, because God is kind and loving, says Moses and Joshua, it leaves them with a choice. And this choice is not a difficult choice to make. It's not, this is not rocket surgery here. 
um, in Deuteronomy 30, um, Moses says, guys, this is, not, this is not hard. From verse 11, he says, look, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so you have to say, who will ascend into heaven and get it? And proclaim it to us. Nor is it beyond the sea that you say, who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us? No. You don't have to go on some great spiritual quest. There's no eightfold path. There's no um, nine, five spiritual laws, whatever it might be. There's no, there's, there's no great quest to find this. He says it's right there. It's right on the tip of your tongue. You know it. It's simple. It's a choice that he's going to lay before them. It's a choice to believe or not to believe, to love or not to love, to serve or not to serve. It's interesting that one of the things that people find really difficult about the Christian life, actually, or how to become a Christian, is how simple it is. I guess it's over the years why people have invented things like purgatory or penance, all those kinds of things. They like Because it's, not, it's too easy just to believe, isn't it? And yet, as you read through the New Testament, particularly, that message is the, that's the message that comes through. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life, John 3.16. Um, Repent and believe the good news, says Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, says Paul. In the end, God offers us a gift, and all we need to do is to choose to accept it. And that choice has huge ramifications, huge ramifications. Look at the way Moses describes it in verse 15. He says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. He says it's a simple choice. Will you choose life or will you choose death? Which will it be? This is what I'm laying before you, says Moses. And notice how, what, he, what he wants them to do. The command there is to love. God doesn't want slaves. He wants friends. He wants family. He wants to invite us into his family. He wants us to invite us into his circle of friends. If we accept that invitation, we accept life, eternal life. Life that can never be taken away, that can never perish or spoil or fade. But know this clearly, if we reject that choice, if we reject that offer, we are choosing death. We need to choose life, says Moses. And Joshua's call is pretty similar. Joshua 24 verse 15, he says, choose for your day this day. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Who will you be devoted to? Who will you obey? And again, the consequences are dire. In verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you. It's a huge, huge choice with huge ramifications. And it's the same thing. Actually, this call goes all the way through Scripture. In Exodus 32, Moses brings out, sends out the call at the base of Mount Sinai after the golden calf incident. He says, anyone who's for the Lord, come to me. Choose. Come to me if you're with the Lord. Those who don't meet a sticky end. 
on Mount Carmel. Elijah says, this is in 1 Kings 18, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Choose. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the true God or are you going to follow this pretender? Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Follow me, he says. Choose. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, um, uh, at that great feast of Pentecost, says, repent and believe. Paul in Acts 16, same thing, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Throughout scripture, the call goes out, and so the call comes out to us. Who will you serve? Who will you love? Notice the call is not, will you, would you mind terribly doing God the honour of assenting to the fact that he is, exists? Or it's not, would you mind trying to possibly squeeze God into your already busy schedule, if you don't mind, if that's okay? No. The choice is simple. The consequences are eternal. Who will you love? Who will you serve? Now, I'm coming to the end of my ministry here at St Peter's, um, and I don't want to leave without leaving you with that challenge because it's quite possible to sit in church, even this church, even my church, for 16 years or more and to never really answer that question. Who will you serve? Who will you follow? Who will you love? And so if that's you, if you've never made that choice, today's the day. Choose this day who you will serve. Don't put it off. Don't wait and see or just let's just hope that I'll just kind of drift along and hope everything will be okay. We need to choose. We need to choose life. And it will have huge implications for our lives, of course, because what we love we follow, we, de- we are devoted to. When we serve God, we will honour him. We'll put him as number one. We won't just, as I say, squeeze him into a part of our lives. We will give everything to him. Our time, our money, our, our, our gifts, our talents, our energy, we'll give to serving him. I wonder when you woke up this morning, if you said, this is the day that I choose to follow Jesus. If you didn't, you probably didn't. I guess this is not the first thing that that would come to mind. But let me encourage you to continue to make that choice. If you've learnt nothing else from the time that I've been here, learn this. Choose this day who you will serve, who you will love, who you will follow, and spend your life following him. Spend your life making that choice over and over again. Choose life. Choose Jesus. Let me pray. (coughs) Dear Lord God, we thank you um, for for your great mercy to us. We've been reminded this morning of some of the great things you've given to us, um, some of many. But Lord, we we pray, I pray for everyone in this room, for those who have been part of the church for a long time, for those who maybe this is their first time or they've only been here a couple of times, for those who've grown up in Christian families, for those um, who have only started to learn about you in later life. Lord, I pray for all of us that we might learn what it means to love, 
Learn what it means to serve. Learn what it means to honour you with all that we have. Father, I pray for each of us that we would choose life, that we would accept the gift that you offer and arrange our lives around you and around your call. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.